But the great thing about increasing your income is that there's no cap on how much money you can make in a year. There's nothing stopping you from making more money. And best of all, you don't have to cut back somewhere or give up your quality of life in order to do so. So if you want to have the best of both worlds and really make an impact with your budget and your savings, you really need to focus on both. So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder, why didn't they teach me in school anything about how to manage money? I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers with your host, Cody Laughlin. I have Rachel Richards here today, who I have been trying to get on the podcast for quite a while, and I'm excited to have her here. Um, she wrote an amazing book called Money Honey, and she also wrote another book called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. And so at the age of 27, Rachel Richards quit her job and retired, living off $15,000 per month in passive income. Rachel is the best-selling author of Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. She is a formal financial advisor and a real estate investor with almost 40 rental units. And by making the topic of money management fun, entertaining, and simple, Rachel has helped thousands of millennials work their way out of financial despair. And so with that, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cody. I'm excited to talk to you today. I've got, you've got a, quite a bio of things to go through and start with, but um, why don't you give me a little bit of a background of how you went into, uh, I, I kind of want to understand how you went into being a, a financial advisor mm-hmm. and then how you also went after passive income, because a lot of times financial advisors completely ignore the, that side of it and try to build asset side. Yeah. So um, if you could kind of walk through that a little bit, it'd be great. Yeah, for sure. So I rewind to high school graduation and I did not grow up in a family where my parents were going to be able to help me pay for college. So, and I had already been obsessed with finance at this point. I think I read my first personal finance book in sixth grade. So I was a finance nerd my whole life (laughs) and I loved learning about it. And I was, so I was pretty scared of having to take out all this student debt because I had seen what it had done to people, how crippling it can be. And I was very like anti-debt at the time. So I was like, how am I going to pay for school? So I started selling Cutco cutlery. Have you heard of Cutco knives? (laughs) Yes, they're aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. So it's, so it's a direct sales company. It was my first time in a sales position. And it was my first time in a job where the harder you work, the more money you can make. And I knew I could outwork anybody. So I sold knives. I set sales records. I paid my way through college, which was a private, like $40,000 a year school. Wow. Um, Sold a lot of knives. Sold a lot of knives. Well, I did get a lot of scholarships, but I sold about, and I made about $10,000 per summer to pay kind of the difference. That's awesome. So with the sales experience and the interest in financial stuff, I was like, I'll be a financial advisor. That would be the perfect combination. So that's how I got into that. But I realized that although I was good at sales, I wasn't so passionate about it that I could see myself cold calling people for the next 10 years of my life. So that's ultimately why I left financial advising. 
but the, the passion for helping people with money never left. It was always there. And so I just had to find a different way to help people with that. And that's why a few years later, I started writing my first book. Do you remember what your book was you read when you were in sixth grade? Uh, yeah, it was the, it was the Molly fool's guide for teens, how to have more money than your parents ever dreamed of. Really? And it was so fascinating. It was the first time I learned about, you know, compound interest and the time value of money, all those things. And I was like, wow, it was just like a light bulb went off in my head. Um, perfect book for middle schoolers, high schoolers. And that's really what sparked my passion in learning about finance. That's so awesome because it's, um, I, I feel like we, really miss the boat when we don't start to even build, you know, 20 bucks a month into our young people, you know, $40 a month for 60 years at an average return is like almost $2 million. Wow. But if you wait 10 years, it turns into $400,000. Like it just, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just that compound interest is so, it, I don't understand why we don't teach those things at all in our, in our, in our, uh, in our school systems. Um, and so I'm curious as, as you know, you said you had a passion to help people get to, you know, well, actually we'll just learn in financial, uh, uh, literacy, right. Mm -hmm. Um, where do you kind of find most people that come to you? Where are they at along that path? Are they, you know, beginners? Are they intermediate people advanced? I would say when I first started helping people, it was mostly beginners. I was working because I wrote money, honey, essentially for someone like my best friend. I wrote it for a girlfriend who didn't know how to budget and didn't know how to invest in the stock market. They, you know, she knows that she needs to be doing that stuff, but she's overwhelmed and she doesn't know where to begin. So that's kind of where I started. But now that I've gotten a lot more into real estate investing, I do have more like intermediate and advanced people as well. So when you started, when you went into it with, like you said, the piece of starting with the uh, beginners, because I think that's probably most relevant to our audience when we've got parents talking to talk to their kids about these kinds of things, where did you, where do you start? Like what's, what's one of the top subjects that, you know, comes up and that light bulb kind of comes on? I would say the very first place to start is tracking your expenses. And this is where you need to begin because you don't really know where your money is going. And Dave Ramsey has this quote that I love. He said, a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And when you start by just tracking your expenses for 30 days, you don't even have to start trying to do a budget. Just look at where your money is going for 30 days. It will be so eye-opening. For example, the first time I did this with my husband, and this is, this is embarrassing. I feel like I shouldn't admit this because I'm supposed to be a finance <laughs> expert, but the first time we did this, we realized we were spending over $900 a month on groceries for mm. two people. That's not even including restaurants. That was just groceries. And so seeing that was shocking. And I was like, wow, if I can just cut this in half, which I should easily be able to do, that's another $450 per month I can put into savings. So those are the kinds of aha moments you'll have when you start tracking your expenses. Yeah. It's almost like, I feel like, um, most people don't want to do it because it's like, Oh, I'm going to have to take away the things that I like to do. Right. And it's like, it, like you said, it's, I don't really feel like a budget is taken away from things. I feel like it's directing them to the things that are important to you. So it's a tool for you to identify what's important to you in your life and where you want to be putting your energy to it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And to your point, Cody, I used to feel that way too, where I felt a budget was so restrictive and it just made me feel like, well, I can't do all the things I want to do. So what really was a key moment for me is when I also started tracking my income because people who are struggling living paycheck to paycheck often we just focus on, okay, let's decrease our expenses. Let's cut costs so we can 
save more money. What's but the, there's one, actually, the, co- the coffee, right? It's always the coffee. Yeah, it's always the <laughs> Starbucks coffee. It's like, no, you can have the best of both worlds, right? There's two yeah. ways to save more money and to get out of that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. One is to decrease your expenses and the other is to increase your income, which I feel like we always forget about. But the great thing about increasing your income is that there's no cap on how much money you can make in a year. There's nothing stopping you from making more money. And best of all, you don't have to cut back somewhere or give up your quality of life in order to do so. So if you want to have the best of both worlds and really make an impact with your budget and your savings, you really need to focus on both. Well, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people think in that when we start talking about, you know, increasing your income and finding something else, like there's a hundred, like most people say, I don't have enough time, right? There's 168 hours in a week. A full-time job is considered 40 hours, right? And a lot of people work a lot more. I used to work 70 hours, but, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it, 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 there's a, there's 128 hours we're not using, you know, when you figure sleep, you've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 56 hours. If you got eight hours of sleep for seven days, right. Which is, you know, I don't know who gets that, but um, you know, you're still looking at, I mean, almost more time available to increase what you're doing than there is for what you're actually doing. And so that focus of that time budget, cause that's another part that I think you can do with that, you know, is that it doesn't have to just necessarily be where's my money going? What do I have to take away? What can I spend my money on what I want to spend it on and put my head in the sand and be embarrassed, right? Because that's what I think a lot of people's anxiety is. And then, but there's also like your time budget, you know, if you yes. can track, if you can track that, you can, you can find the same way you're going to find money when you do the budget side, right? And so um, do you feel that there's like, when, you, when you're getting with people that are, uh, that are in that newer stage, right? Um, is do they have anxiety? Is that what you see from them? Oh, for sure. It's, yeah. it's a lot more anxiety because, I mean, you kind of said it already. We are in a financial education crisis, mm-hmm. right? At no point in our lives are we taught how to manage our money. And then we're left as young adults to try to figure it out all on our own. And because of that, most of the people I, I work with are dealing with feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment, And that breaks my heart. It's not their fault. It's not any of our faults that we weren't given the resources we need to succeed. And that's why I'm so passionate about doing what I do. There shouldn't be any shame or anxiety or an embarrassment when it comes to money. Again, it's not somebody's fault. And that's why people like you and I are trying to empower others to learn and get better. Yeah, that's where I started with the parents, you know, because like I guess I I saw that to be like, maybe there's a spot there that, you know, that I feel like that anxiety is something that we pass on in our family structures, right? Mm-hmm. Like well, we didn't talk about money in my house. We talked about entrepreneurship all the time. And guess what? I opened a business at 19 years old. So like, it just, it was just normal. Like I just went, I went to college. We were like, what are you going to be? Like, I don't know. I'm just own a business. And they're like, what, what kind of business? Like, I don't know. But it, it was just like that, but that's what we talked about all the time. So it was like, fine, you know? And I feel like if we could do that and take away that, um, angst around having conversations about money, you know? Uh, and, and if we, I feel like that, that first step, a lot of times is so hard that people don't want to take it until they're at a breaking point. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I, I inherited some limiting beliefs from my parents when I was growing up, even though I was learning all this stuff about money and I felt like I was ahead of my peers by doing certain things. I still, I grew up in a household where money was always a stressor. Mm -hmm. There was never enough to go around. It was, you know, paycheck to paycheck Um, It was very, very stressful. So it has taken me years to overcome that mindset. And even I have more money now than I ever thought I would. And I even still struggle with, oh, like I shouldn't spend it on that. Or 
no, you know, I can't afford that. And it's like, wait a second, uh, you have to really put in the work to go from a scarcity mindset to an abundant mindset. And I think that's something that's very important as well. Yeah. So you just touched on one of my favorite things. So can you kind of describe how you see an abundant mindset? Yeah. So I'll start with the scarcity mindset, which to me kind of goes back to this whole restrictive budgeting thing, because it's, it's kind of looking at the money you have and thinking there's not enough money. And I can only work in this small capacity of how much money that I currently have. Whereas with an abundant mindset, it's more like, you know what, there's an endless possibility of the amount of money I can make. I can always make more money. It's just a matter of me going out and getting it and figuring it out. And also just having the peace of mind of knowing that, you know, money is infinite and there's more than enough to go around. It's been real infinite lately, right? That's bad. <laughs> we created something <laughs> like $6 trillion last year or uh, yeah. something, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, that's, I think also in that part of the scarcity piece is like, if you get something, I don't get it. Mm, right. right 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 like there's always that like oh someone else is doing well so i'm not doing what you know like there's a comparison piece or like a you know there's only the the pie is only one size you know and, right, so if and you, you really yeah. need to view wealth as infinite so somebody yeah. making money doesn't cause you to not be able to make money and so that's a great point as well yeah it's it's a very difficult lens and i struggle i struggle with the same thing you mentioned uh <laughs> earlier i still have a hard time pulling out the paycheck or pulling out the checkbook or the you know the credit card on certain things like i just it, it makes me cringe like i can't help it you know <laughs> yeah and and that thing that one thing alone having that scarcity in mindset has really caused me to make a lot of financial mistakes and to oh, be yeah. cheap and to to go the cheap route and to try to save money and anything to an extreme is not healthy. Frugality to an extreme is not sustainable. And so those are the kind of traps that I kept falling in. I'm still not perfect, but I'm making progress. <laughs> I have a hard time ordering appetizers at restaurants. That's my, that's <laughs> like my little, like, <laughs> like I never want to, I'm like, I yeah. pay for two meals. Like, and I'm, I don't know why it's just, you know, but, <laughs> but I think it's okay to admit where we, where we have these like struggles and these part of it, because that's part of talking about it. You know, I think that when I found out you know, when I was in, I kind of briefly touched on it, but when I was in like a really, really bad financial spot, like at some point I was just like, I am so in the hole, like I don't care anymore. And I just started talking mm. about it and people were like kind of gravitated toward, toward me with their problems, right? Yeah. With their, with their things they wanted to talk like, well, can you explain this to me? And I'm like, well, yeah, like I definitely know how it doesn't work. Right. Like so, <laughs> but as I started doing that, I became a lot more comfortable. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well now I can just talk about this stuff with people. And it's like almost a relief. Like there's these little walls we build up, like we've got to look a certain way or we have to know everybody knows everything that we don't know. Right. Yeah. You know? And I think the more transparent we can all be the better. Cause like you said, it creates a safe space for others to also open up too. And and talk about what they're struggling with with money because there's not a single person that doesn't struggle with money that I know. Like no matter how wealthy or how poor they are, everyone has money problems. They change when you get wealthier, but they're still there. Oh yeah, yeah. There's and I I struggle with the thought of losing. Like I I have gone from and I'll bounce in between. Like I went from a completely like abundant mindset with no regard to like what I was financing or whatever else always, I just could make another paycheck and I just go make another, I'll make another, you know, uh, $10,000 mm. no big deal. Like I always make my payments, you know? And then in like when the, you know, when the train, when the music stopped, it was like all those payments didn't stop coming in, but the money did. And so I got caught in that. And then I went from, you know, almost that into a completely like, uh, you know, shell of like a scarcity mindset for a while. And I had to like retrain my brain but I still find myself doing that now. Like there's times where like, I really worry about losing the things that I have. 
Mm, you know, yes. and I, I wonder if you see that, do you see that shift happening with people? Like, is there, I don't, I, you know, like I pride myself on, a, on a, an abundance mindset, but that other side creeps in. Oh, me know. too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. I think that's a fear that's really hard to get rid of. And it still impacts me too, because now I'm in a very, very financially secure spot, but there's still this deep rooted fear of like, what if it's not enough? You know, what if I can't take care of myself or I can't take care of my loved ones if there's an emergency? And so I have this ambition and this drive to grow my business and, you know, always just add more value. It's not really even a money thing at this point, but I do think in the back of my mind, it's like a little bit, fear is causing that a little bit. And fear can be motivating or paralyzing. Luckily yeah. for me, it's been a very motivating thing, but yeah, that's, that's a hard one to overcome. <laughs> I love that phrase though. You just said that fear could be motivating or paralyzing and that's true, you know, and it, and it can be both also, you know, it, mm -hmm. we can, we can use it as a paralysis tool until we realize that, okay, now I'm going to use it as a, as a motivator. Right. You know, and, and that's, um, you know, one of my favorite concepts is paradigms, right? It's the way we see the world, not the way the world is. And uh, you have, you know, that's a perfect description of it. You know, if something's back there limiting you, like you have a choice of whether to hide from it, whether to ignore it, whether to, you know, run with it, you know, and take off. And so mm -hmm. um, I appreciate you bringing that up. And so I would, I would, uh, I would ask you this, in fact, that you've got so many different subjects you could talk about, but like, what's some advice you would give to, you know, parents with kids and let's say like junior high or high school, like, what are some of the things that you would suggest for them to, to start off with? Because I feel like, we have to retrain our brains a lot of times when we get into that twenties and thirties type of deal, because we didn't learn it younger. Yeah. But I feel like there's the opportunity there that they don't have the same, you know, uh, they don't have the same limiting beliefs placed in their heads yet. Like how can we just train as opposed to retrain, which is way harder. I think like one of the easiest things is just to talk about it. Right. Because yeah. money is always this taboo thing. And maybe you think you need to talk about it with your spouse behind closed doors or even have an argument about it behind closed doors, but it can actually be a healthy thing for kids to hear what's going on and how you resolve some things and work through it. Um, and that just goes back to communication is key for every relationship. Uh, but in terms of also just some concrete things that parents can do for their kids that are in high school, I would recommend a couple of things. Number one, add them as an authorized user on your credit card. And that way you can help them build credit at a young age. And you definitely need to have conversations around expectations, um, do's and don'ts, you know, what they're going to be responsible for, et cetera. But that can be a great way to start teaching them. And then the other thing that parents can consider doing is if there's any way that their high schooler is earning income whether it's babysitting or mowing lawns, or maybe they do have a part-time job, you can teach them how to contribute to a Roth IRA at a really young age. And you can even open up a custodial IRA for them so that you can start teaching them about the power of investing at a young age, which is one of the most important things that a young person can do. So I would say those two things would make a huge difference. I would also on to add to that last part you talked about, um, I would suggest that you, and you know, actually what well, we brought up Dave Ramsey earlier, he has a great one, super simple. There's a Dave Ramsey investment calculator, right? And just show them what putting 40 bucks a month away, you know, they might not think that that's a big deal, but yes. once that one, it's the habit, right? That part of the, part of this income doesn't belong to me yet. Right. And that's what you kind of need to put aside. And then two, show them what compound interest does. I think you, you know, I think if you're listening to this, you're going to be probably blown away when you start adding in how many years they have. It is amazing 
what it does. <laughs> Absolutely. Here, here's another example. So parents ask your kids this question, take them through this example. So I'm going to, you're, you're going to be my guinea pig, Cody. So, okay. If I gave you, you might've heard this before. If I gave you a penny and I told you to double it every day for a month, how much money do you think you'd end up with at the end of the month? Oh, I know the answer to this, but I can't remember if it's 10 million or 2 million. Uh, <laughs> can't remember. <laughs> most people guess like, me. well, those are already great guesses because most people will guess like 10,000 or, you know, 5,000 or whatever. The answer is a penny doubled every day for a month is $5,368,709. And that is just such a mind blowing number from a penny. So when, when you can just hold a penny up in front of your kids and be like, look what this can do in a month, if this happens, that's, that's how you illustrate the value of time and the value of compounding. Yeah, no, I, the only reason I know this, cause there's, there's actually a proverb from like the, the guy, there's a King and he owns all the land and he, uh, and he comes in and there's a kid that comes into him and he asks him for a piece of rice every day. And then by the end of the month, he empties the silos. Uh, ah. it's like, that's the, it's an original, it's a proverb to that. Um, it doesn't, I mean, it's obviously not as uh i guess uh up to date as the penny story but there's a there's a there's one where the kid comes in and he he makes a deal with the emperor about a piece of rice just once a day and then every day he doubles it and by the end of it he clears the guy out <laughs> that's cool i mean these yeah. are perfect examples though because it's hard to teach kids stuff in like a fun and engaging way so if you can talk as a parent with these kinds of stories and anecdotes and examples i think they'll hit a lot harder than just being like you know than just showing the mathematics of it yeah, yeah. And it works in opposite way, too, because if they don't think about what they're borrowing, you know, uh, that that compound interest works oppositely as well. And so yes. I, I've, I've shown kids where I'm like, hey, you know, would you pay $400 for this $80 pair of sneakers? And they're like, what? Why? No. You know, I'm like, would you pay $12 for a Gatorade? You know, and they're like, no, it's $2. And I'm like, well, that's what happens if you put it on a credit card and pick the minimum payments. Like, that's a great way of putting it. You know, there's there's a lot of that. Uh, that I, I think we just completely avoid. But I think that you know, as you're talking about that, it's that engagement where you sit down and have these stories with the kids is almost where the magic happens, right? And it's not even necessarily that they know that it's $5,300,000 or $300,000. Like it's more the fact of like, okay, it, it, let me go find something else to, to wow you with some financial advice. And then they get in that habit of just feeding their brain with the right kind of things. Right. You know? Yeah, totally agree. The more you can talk about it, the better. So, um, as you do, you know, I know you have a, a course as well, um, where basically you get into like an eight week course. Uh, yes. do you think that could be something that, I mean, is it, do people need to have their expenses and be in the money trouble to get into that with you? Or is it be something that maybe people could, uh, go through with kids or with young adults to, you know, together? Yeah, I've worked with people from all walks of life, all ages. Um, I would say a high schooler could take it um, with their parent or, or even on their own, but I wouldn't say anybody younger should take yeah. it. But it really is designed for beginners, and it talks about all the basic topics of expense tracking, budgeting, savings, debt payoff, investing, and a little bit on like insurance. So it's a great place to start. It's designed for people that don't have any previous financial knowledge. So, or, or even people who do have somebody just want to get things improved a little bit. Uh, but yeah, the course is called, I'll bleep it out, but it's called Get Your Financial Bleep Together. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a fun time. It's sassy. It's engaging. Um, I've had a lot of course takers go through it with a lot of success. 
I, yeah, I've read some of your writing and stuff, but you really do have a sassy side to it. You make it fun, you know, <laughs> Thank and that's, you. that's, that's uh, the goal. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is like, you know, I think there isn't anybody that's in financial trouble or not even then, and it just maybe they're just doing okay, that doesn't know that they have some, you know, that there's, there's subjects we can get better at, right? There's right. always, there's always some financial subjects we can get better at and do better and all those things. But a lot of times, I think a lot of it is just so dry, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, it's not done from like a human kind of side to things where like, that's why I think it's so important to be able to talk about these things in your household, because, you know, it's just sitting down to read uh, all of the stuff on your own so you can figure it out and do everything. It's such a harder way to learn this type of subject. Yeah. Reading on your own. It's, it's hard. So if you're not that type of person who can take action and be very disciplined, and I feel like that's a rare thing, like self-discipline is the absolute hardest thing. It's the reason I still struggle with the diet. Um, so if you're not that type of person, then just reading a book or listening to a podcast, it might not be enough, right? Because knowledge means nothing without execution. And that's part of the reason I wanted to create the course was to really give people the support and structure and accountability they need so they can actually take action on what they're learning. That's yeah. the biggest piece of it is the ability to take action. Those two words, like you said, uh, they say you know, knowledge is power. It really isn't because I, I really think it's even more today, less relevant than at any time in history, because we have every bit of knowledge nearly ever created at our fingertips. Right. right? And, and we all know <laughs> the basic things of like, don't, you know, don't go into high interest debt and invest in the stock market and budget your money. And if knowledge was power, then we would all be millionaires, right? So clearly there's some key component missing there. Knowledge is definitely the first step, but then it comes down to you actually have to do something with, with that knowledge or else you're just going to continue to be you know, living from paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, that's, I feel that mindset is much more strong, much more important than knowledge, right? Especially today, because yes. whatever you want, you can go figure out. Like I learn, I do, you know, I'll rehab properties and things and like, my first resource is to hop on YouTube and see if I can do it. You know, yes, me too. I'm like, how do I put in laminate vinyl plank flooring? I'm like, no idea. I'm like, boop, 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 boop. I'm like, I could probably do that. <laughs> you right. know, like I now give it a shot. And then if I mess it up, I got to hire somebody anyway. You know, it's like, so I, you know, a lot of my times, but I, it's, if I didn't go see how to do those things, you know, um, then it, it we, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to pay a lot more a lot of times if I don't educate myself ahead of time. Right. And I was having this conversation the other day um, with some dads at a, you know, barbecue thing we were doing. And I said, you know, they said, oh, my, you know, my kid's lazy. He doesn't, he doesn't have the drive I had to do. And I had to get up and do all this stuff when I was a kid. And I had to do that. And I said, man, I think you're looking at it wrong. And he's like, he doesn't know how to do anything. It's all, you know, computer this, computer that. And I go, he doesn't have to know how to do anything. I was like, you had to know how to do that stuff. Someone had to teach you because you, if you had to fix, you know, if you had to put, change a tire, like someone had to teach you how to change a tire who knew how to change tires. Like now you don't have to know somebody that knows how to change tires. Like you're, yeah, you can just look it up, <laughs> <laughs> right? You can YouTube everything. Like in my YouTube videos, I don't want the super, uh, you know, uh, productive one. I want the guy who's like greasy and on the side, like, let me show you how to do this thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think about that in a term of like, of the money side of it. And I think you're, I think you're spot on like about taking action with it. And I, I do, I try to do that in our, in our high impact series interviews because it, it, it's there, you know, and if you don't have, I guess if you're not a self-driven, self-disciplined person, like you said, which is, you know, a very small percent of the population, then it's much easier to do it in a group setting with some accountability. Are you finding mm-hmm. that you, your people are getting through 
the course because there's other people involved? Yeah. Yeah. I have this Facebook community. Um, I have regular check-ins. I mean, the whole point is that I'm holding them accountable so that they're doing it. And it's also, you know, you have to be willing to make an investment in yourself. If you want to get serious about money, you have to be willing to make an investment in yourself. And that way you'll have skin in the game. And that's another way you can commit to taking action. So from what I've seen, my students have been, you know, very happy. They've saved a lot of money and um, it's been great so far. That's one of the best things about learning about financial. Uh, if you have to spend to learn about your finances, it's you're going to find that money back real quick. You know? Yeah, and you know, there's uh, there's this interesting quote that I love, and it's it's what well, how does it go? It's like waiting for your finances to get better to hire a financial coach is like waiting for your grades to go up before hiring a tutor. It's like yeah, like that's so silly. You know, I know it seems counterintuitive to spend money to make money, but that's sometimes what you have to do. Um, and thank you for asking me about it. That's very nice of you. <laughs> well, I love, uh, I, I, I want to touch on one other thing with you real quick that you kind of mentioned earlier um, about realizing the pitfalls of uh, student loans. And I personally find it to be an absolute tragedy that we don't touch on the subject of interest of you know uh of paybacks or anything else and then we take a pen and hand it to an 18 year old and say go ahead and sign up for 150 grand i know it's, <laughs> it's predatory lending it 100 because it, also the person who's getting the money for you generally is working at the school that needs the money that you're giving to them right <laughs> yeah it's, it's messed up there should be like a required class before an 18 year old can sign for that amount of debt yeah. And it's, and I think that, you know, cause personally, I feel like one of the greatest gifts that uh, made America was the bankruptcy laws that we put in place because we used to have debtors prison. So if you borrowed money and didn't pay it back, you went to prison until someone else, mm. someone else in your family paid it back. So nobody wanted to be an entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> so our founding fathers knew that and they put in bankruptcy court and they said, okay, well, the guy who lent you the money also has skin in the game, but we have taken that away from the student loan side of things. And so yeah. I'm curious on your take on, on college these days, like, where do you, where do you see it now looking back um, as, you know, where, what are your feelings about? I feel that a college degree is not as valuable as it used to be because it used to be something that made you stand out. And now it seems like everyone has a college degree. So if everybody has it, it's not making you stand out anymore. Um, and it depends on the, the subject that you go into also, because, yeah. you know, sometimes it does make a lot of sense to take out a lot of debt when you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor and you're going to be in a really high income position. And that's the only way to become one of those jobs. For a lot of the other jobs, it might not make sense. Um, there's a lot of creative ways to go and in, in, in to get a college degree now. So one of them, for example, my husband is a veteran. So he used his military benefits to pay for school and he was able to graduate without debt. Another thing that I think it's smart to do is you can start at a community college for the first two or three years, then switch to whatever school and you get the degree from that school, but you paid a lot, lot less for it. Or you can go into a trade or vocational school. You don't necessarily have to go get a bachelor's degree or you don't have to go at all. So there's just a lot of options. <laughs> and I think we should consider all of them instead of just assuming that getting a bachelor's degree is the best route. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, um, I, I completely agree. Like it's pretty hard to YouTube how to do foot surgery. So I kind of want that guy to go to school for a while and learn from some people that did it. But <laughs> I feel like the ability to access the information today has wiped out a lot of the value of the colleges. Right. Totally. Because you used to, like I said, you used to have to go somewhere 
to learn how to do something, <laughs> you know, like that was kind of the part of it. it was like, like, well, I got a degree in this, so I know how to do it now, but I've never met anybody. Like I was a finance major and I got my first job out of, out of college. Uh, well, actually I left with like one semester left, um, which my mom never let me live down, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I did okay with it afterwards. So it worked out, but, uh, yeah. um, but I went, I became a mortgage broker and I didn't know what a mortgage was. Mm. Right. I was a yeah. finance major. Like, I'm like, what, this still isn't applicable, you know? I know. Cause it's so <laughs> theoretical. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I loved what I learned about micro and macroeconomics. I found that so fascinating, but am I using that? No, it's just, that was so <laughs> theoretical and it's not what you actually need to do a corporate finance job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I did find out one thing in college. Though. I do hate accounting. And I still, stick, oh, me too. I, I, still stick I found to that. that out too. I was like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> that yeah. and linear algebra. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, algebra was in my, in my wheelhouse, but man, that, uh, that accounting classes, I was like, I did, I still don't understand debits and credits and I've, yeah, um, I've owned 14 companies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> well, I know that, uh, in your bio, you know, one of the things you talk about was like retiring early, um, yet you're still running companies and, and investing and doing things. Uh, where do you find that from? Because I'm on the same kind of boat a little bit. And I'm curious where, where that comes from for you. In terms of why I wanted to retire early? Or no, just like what that meant to I'm you. Oh, yeah. Like well, what, what retiring asked. meant to you? Because clearly you're not, you know, you're not sitting on a golf course right now. Yeah, right? yeah. So I've always used the words retired and financially independent interchangeably. So that's why I say that. But I get I'm starting to rethink that because I know that's causing some confusion. I don't want it to be misleading, but to me, retirement is, oh, I can now work when, where, and if I want. I don't have to work at all if I don't want to, but I'm choosing to work because what I do right now, I love doing and it's fulfilling me. And like, what else am I going to do with my time for the you know next 70 years of my life? I mean, I have to do something. So that's how I define retired. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people have been like, well, Rachel, you're not retired. Clearly you're still working. And it's like, well, yeah, I just have the financial independence and freedom to kind of do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the boat. Like people are like, you know, they ask me, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've like, what do you do with all your time? I'm like, I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like I, I can, if, but if I want tomorrow to go fishing, I can just get in my car and drive to the water and go fishing. Like, you know, that's, that's the freedom that came with it. I wish there, I wish we came up with a better term too, because I always feel uncomfortable when I'm, people are asking about that. I'm like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I don't really know how to explain it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I never, I still don't know how to answer that question. Um, but something that I think is important for young people to understand about early retirement is I think we get so caught up in escaping the rat race and quitting the job and just wanting to be free that yeah. we, we get so caught up in escaping from something that we don't think about what we're working towards. You know, yeah. what is life going to look like when you retire? Because it is a lot of time that you suddenly free up if you don't have to work anymore. And there's this actual thing called like the retirement blues, where no matter your age, when you retire, people can be susceptible to, to depression because they lost the thing that gives them purpose. So yeah. as exciting as it is, you really need to have a game plan of, you know, how are you going to spend the rest of your life? Because traveling for a couple of years is great, but you will probably get bored of traveling after a while so you gotta have you gotta figure out something to do i think one of the keys too that we focus on we should i think we need to reframe this too when we're talking about retirement right because we think about this nest egg that you're gonna have and 
I've always looked at it a little different that I know my nest egg doesn't necessarily need to be as big, but my cash flow is what needs to be big, right? I've always, oh, always... <laughs> yes, I'm smiling because this is like my favorite topic the nest egg versus cash flow. Yeah, strategy. yeah, this is, yeah, this is a, this is going back to my rich dad, poor dad days. So, uh, you know, that, that idea, because you mentioned it kind of in your thing, like, when did you consider yourself retired? Uh, when I was 27. And by that point, I was making $10,000 per month in passive profit, which was more than enough to cover my living expenses. And so that's when I considered myself retired. Fire, right? Fire. When you hit the fire, right? And I love that's that. Right. I, I When I learned about fire, it literally consumed me. Like I could not stop reading about it. I'm like, how do people do this? Like I, and I just figured out, like, I'm like, I'm going to do that, you know? And I were like, I'm like, how? I'm like, I don't know. But I started talking to people about it. I was like, financially independent, retire early. And they're like, what is that? And I'm like, you got more money coming in than you got, you have to have going out. You can do whatever you want. And they're like, and I thought most people kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And it took me 10 years, but I got back into it and I got there. But is that, where did that come from for you? Like, how did you learn about that? I don't even know where I first learned about the fire movement. I feel like, I don't know if I was in college or right after college, but what started my journey towards re early retirement was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad in high school, which I feel like for everyone is just this eye-opening book. And it was for me. And so my initial path to early retirement was just real estate investing. I was like, yeah. I get this. I can see how this is going to work. This is what I'm going to do. And then of course, so I did start doing that in 2017 with my husband. And that was the same year I self-published and wrote my first book, Money Honey. And I did that as a passion project. It was something I felt compelled to do, making this topic of money into something that was funny and fun and simple. Um, and I didn't think it was gonna make any money, but it did. So then book royalty income became a, a larger and larger passive income stream for me as time went on. And now we have all these other passive income streams in addition to that. I think they say that millionaires have an average of seven income streams. Wow. And I, I think that's probably accurate. So the more income streams you can have, the better. Yeah, no, that's a, that's fantastic advice. I just, uh, you know, it, it, I, I don't know if it's because probably I'm in the same kind of financial mindset that you have a lot, but like the fire part of it just lit me up when I found out about it. Like it was like, okay, I get this, you know what I mean? Yes. And it's, it's amazing how often Rich Dad Poor Dad comes up in my conversations. I think I'm getting close to 200 podcast episodes, episodes and almost like, I'd say like nine out of 10 people. Uh, that was the one that like changed their mindset. Wow. That's so cool. It really, it comes up like a lot. Um, it's really kind of, and it's, an, I, I interview in all kinds of walks of life, you know, not just like financial experts, but like just successful business people and like all kinds of, you know, uh, I interviewed the guy who was a head of crypto for IBM last week. <laughs> he actually wow. got me. Yeah. I've been so anti-crypto that like, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Like, but now he, he walked me down some rabbit holes and now I'm like, I've been Googling quite a bit. So oh, cool. I need to listen to that too. Cause I've been not anti-crypto. I just personally haven't felt it's the right fit for me. So I didn't, I didn't get it. All I saw was like the lotto ticket side of it. And there's yeah. a lot more, uh, I don't, I won't be buying like Bitcoin coins. Like he's, I, he showed me a whole different way, um, called yield farming. That is okay. extremely interesting to me for passive income. Very so cool. if you get an opportunity to start Googling around, yield farming is a, is a very interesting topic. <laughs> awesome. Good to know. Uh, yeah. He was a young guy too. I think he's 29 years old, retired. Wow. 
Wow. <laughs> you know, all crypto, uh, all crypto stuff. Not like a crypto bro millionaire screaming from the rooftops that was a coach three weeks ago and now is a crypto <laughs> expert, you know, like an actual guy who was in IBM as the head of their crypto division. And so, he, wow. yeah, it was really kind of interesting. But um, so I want to get on to the uh, high impact series with you. Um, but is there, uh, who should come find you? I think we kind of touched into it pretty deeply in our conversation, but like who should come find you and where do they find you at? I would just say, if you're somebody out there who feels this urge to, you know, you need to take your finances more seriously and you want to, but you're just feeling overwhelmed and scared and don't know where to begin. I would love to help you with that. Um, typically my audience has been female millennials, but cause that's what I am. So that's who relates to me the best, but I've worked with a lot of different people. So, and one thing I will say is that I truly believe that anyone at any age on any income can absolutely achieve financial independence. That's fantastic because I think a lot of people think it's not for me or when they read these, you know, they, these stories and they're like, well, we make $280,000 a year and you know, we've got. 70 grand of debt and we don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, who makes 300 grand a year that really has these problems? Like, this is like, you're, you're, they always <laughs> interview these people that like make no sense a lot of times, you know? I know. Like, and I'm somebody, I never made six figures from a job or a career. I'm not a trust fund baby. I started off making $36,000 after college. So I definitely know what it's like to feel like there's not enough money. And those are the kinds of people I want to help. Yeah, what do they say? There's uh, more month than money. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah it's tough. <laughs> it runs out before the end of the end of the week, you know. And it's like, how do we help those people? Because that's the ones that need it the most, you know that mm -hmm. that one emergency away type. Um, and so I appreciate what you're doing out there. It's really, uh, it's really, you know, you can tell that, like you said, well, it's it's something. It's your passion project, and you can tell that you're really getting out there, trying to make a, the world a better place. And so, keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> All right, thank you for coming on Money Tuckers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.